Oh, that was three or four of you, but how is everybody doing this morning? Okay, all right, all right. <clears throat> well, it's good to see you. It's, it's good to be here, uh, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Yes. So, uh, this morning we are going to um, continue our sermonette series, but it's going to be uh, more like a sermon and then a couple of short ones um, that I want to just comment on for us to have uh, an idea. Um, one of the scriptures I want to bring to your attention is Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due time, some translations say, uh, uh, the King James says, for in due season, we, will, we shall reap if we faint not. Just quickly, uh, we don't have to teach a whole bunch on it, but just want to co- comment on it a little bit. That is to say that Paul is admonishing us not to get tired in doing right, in doing well. Um, he says, because if you continue that, uh, in due season, I like the word season a little bit better than time, because many times you, you dwell in a difficult season, and the word time doesn't portray it to me as well, and maybe it does for you, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a foreigner, so I don't speak English, really, um, it's, it's my second language or third language. So, uh, but, but season speaks to me more like the Lord has decided when the season is going to begin and when the season is going to end. And if you do not faint in doing good, you will start seeing the fruit of your doing good. If you faint before the season is over, oh, you might miss out. So he says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap the fruit of it. You shall reap if you faint not. So, yes. <clears throat> then I want to uh, just have a quick uh, um, time with you concerning, because I, I, in the last few months I have experienced this, and I, I want to bring it to your attention. That is to say that... Concerning the Word of God and reading the Word of God. Uh, It is important that when you read the Word of God, that you read it thoughtfully and thinking about what you're reading. Lest you miss out on what God is speaking to you. Right? Uh, So, and then I want to encourage you, that when you come across a difficulty, a difficult word, a difficult phrase, or something that you don't understand, to either ask or go to your commentaries that you have, or the back of your book, or, or in the Bibles, in your own Bible, sometimes there's commentaries, um, and see if they, someone can shine some light on it for you. Otherwise, you're reading, and if there's one thing that I don't like in my life, it's like working for nothing. That is to say, working and have no benefit of it. I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm talking about like working and reading and then I'm not understanding anything or, or retaining anything. So, uh, and then I want to say to you that when you read scripture and to understand it, 
you have to read it in context. Okay? Because if you don't read it in context, you can make the Bible say anything you want to. So, but you cannot make the Bible say anything you want to because it says certain things. And then you cannot interpret it any other way. Well, it means such and such to me. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what God says to you. That's what matters. So, and you have to keep it in context or else you find yourself attributing to a passage something that is not attributable to it. Okay? Um, so, I'll leave it at that so that um, you can be a little bit sharper when you read the scriptures and get what it is saying. And you probably do better than I do, but I just, <laughs> just want to share it with you. Um, and then read it in context. The way you're going to read it in context is that if there's a passage that you're reading, let us say there's a passage of six verses that you're reading uh, that is maybe assigned to you by somebody who's mentoring you or you're going to teach a Sunday school class or you're going to teach or you preach someplace. You're invited to share at some place and read those verses and then read at least four verses before and four verses after or six or eight whatever, to get it in context. <clears throat> Otherwise, when you share, you might share something that is not there. Amen. And when people hear you share, you lose credibility in what you're sharing because it's not true. It's not there. Or it might be true, but that what you're saying is at another place, not what you just read. That happens. I've heard preachers do that all the time. They read a passage and then they preach on something else. <laughs> Why did you read this passage? Okay. I, I, that, that, that's enough of that. Uh, and then I want to encourage uh, the, the, the people that God has given me oversight over to <clears throat> concerning, concerning stewardship. Stewardship in most churches means how do I get money from my members? Stewardship. I, they wouldn't say it like that. But I know it very well because I have looked at stewardship committee, uh, uh, how you call it, jobs descriptions. And it is, how can I inspire, so I'll say it a little bit nicer now. How can I inspire my congregation to be good givers? That is not stewardship. That is only a small fraction of stewardship. The stewardship that I'm interested mostly in is that my flock, the flock that God has given me oversight over, that my flock does well in their stewardship of everything that they have. And the stewardship of the car that they bought. So they don't have, in three years, they don't have to buy a new car because they didn't take good care of that car. That is poor stewardship. Amen. Right? You're going to have to spend a ton of money again on something that you didn't have to spend money on if you had taken care of the car. Uh, how we, that's why we have faith and finances. Dorothy, wave, wave at us, would you? Dorothy, yes. Yeah, she's always a little bit shy, and, you know, she doesn't wave very, very hard. Uh, um, she, she and Lynn taught faith and finances to teach our people to give, to, to work your money God's way. And only a small portion of that is giving. The rest of it is, a, how do I spend my money wisely for my household to do better? And I know very well that when your household does better, then you can also give more to the kingdom of God. 
And the kingdom of God is not just this church. The kingdom of God is some of the folks that, that we are supporting. Missionaries. Don Babin, Cecil Peasley. These type of folks that, that we're supporting. Missionaries in, in all kinds of places. So uh, that is what stewardship is about. And, uh, and yes, <laughs> stewardship is also about supporting the church where you are worshiping. Because... You feel it very well. It's a little cool this morning. <laughs> there's an air conditioning bill that has to be paid, and there's insurance that has to be paid, and so on and so forth. But that's not the, the major portion of stewardship. The major portion of stewardship is how do you do well and wisely with the things that God has given you. That includes your children. That includes your spouse. That includes stewardship. Stewardship. Management, if you will. All right. <laughs> Uh, I have to, a couple more things before I, before I start with the main body of the thing. Um, I talked to you last week about GLS, Global Leadership Summit. That is a leadership summit that is worldwide, translated in about 70 languages. Um, it is a two-day event that if somebody comes from the street and wants to go to it, it costs them $180 or something like that. Maybe 175 maybe 174 I don't know the exact amount, but it is, it's up there. Uh, now then, uh, about three or four years ago, <clears throat> I got wind of the fact that they are opening it up to also to young people, which previously was not the case. I never saw a young person over there. When I heard that, I felt like I needed to inspire young people to go to that. So, and, and so then uh, my ministry would then sponsor a bunch of young people. We asked them maybe to pay 15 or $20 of the, of the $89, and then we would chip in the difference. If they didn't have that, whatever amount of money was, we pay for the whole thing for them. Plus, we would feed them. And plus, the first time, we bought T-shirts for them. Neither here nor there. But now then, uh, the GLS, Global Leadership Summit, out of Chicago, is so interested in the young people because someone convinced them that we need to broaden the horizons and raise the visions of young people so that people that don't know that they will have bigger dreams than they had before. Yes? <clears throat> when I, I just give you an example. When I was 17 years old, I was the number one player in my country. And <clears throat> that made a big deal. I'm just going to explain. In my language, there's a, a, an expression that goes like this. In the land of the blind, the guy with one eye is king. I, I was the king. So I knew very well from reading magazines and books that I wasn't that good, but I wanted to be good. So I asked, I begged my mom to beg the president of the federation to look for a place where I could go train and receive more. So ultimately then, <laughs> you won't believe it, but Venezuela used to be a wonderful, beautiful, fantastic country. So the place where I went was Caracas, Venezuela, for, uh, in the Altamira Tennis Club. Uh, uh, with, a, with a pro called Arthur Francois Savier, a Frenchman, who was 30 years ahead of his time. And the first afternoon I get there, I come from the plane, drive up to uh, uh, the, the, the club, uh, from the airport Maquetia to, to Caracas, and uh, they had an international tournament going on. And the match that was going on was between two 12-year-olds. I was 17. I had never seen 12-year-olds play tennis like that. I just simply didn't know it, that a 12-year-old could play tennis like that. I had never seen it before. Well, this is what, what my lot was. 
But now I saw it. So part of the reason why I want to go to Venezuela and other places to train is so I could come back and help the younger, play, the younger players to raise their game. Well, a whole new level was in my mind now since I had seen the 12-year-old play there on the center court. And, and, and as brilliant, he was like a pro, except obviously he was not as physical as a pro. He was just 12 years old. But all his shots looked like pro shots. And um, so I brought a whole new idea back home. So this is what I want to do for young people to broaden their horizons and to raise their visions to see what is out there, what type of things people accomplish so that they can dream, not unrealistically, but they can dream bigger than they have ever dreamed before. So now people are interested in that, and now the GLS, the Global Leadership Summit, sorry, I'm going a little fast. I I just want to get through with this. Um, They have lowered the fee to $49. Per young person, up to eight years, 18 years old. And so we're going to offer that to, to, the, to our young people, and we're going to ask them to pay $25 of the 49 and we'll chip in the difference. Because we are not just going to offer it to that group of, of young people. We're going to also offer it to the older ones that are over, older than 18 because we want them to be involved also, college students and as well as adults. Thank you. So, but you need to let me know soon, because at the end of June, the, all, the, all the prices go up, and then I can't, I can't even get it if I, if I want to. But if I have an idea as to how many we might expect, we, we'll, we'll go buy those tickets in advance, and then distribute them to the, to the, to the people. We just want people to, to do better. That's it. All right. <clears throat> the title of the, the, the main sermon is... Giving up your rights. To make it more complete, giving up your rights for the gospel's sake. I had given you a flavor of that a while back with the pineapple story. But this is just not not from a a book written by somebody. This is now from a book written by Paul here, uh, the book of uh, Ephesians. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians here, uh, chapter 9. Last week we dealt with chapter 8 that spoke about disputable matters. Things that are not commanded in the scriptures and that are not forbidden in the scriptures. Through which many Christians get hung up and then there is divisions and these type of things. So Paul was specific as to how we as Christians should walk with each other in disputable matters. I can't do the sermon again. Sorry, uh, if you were not here last week. Disputable matters. That are issues in in life that the scriptures don't command and they don't forbid. So you can do them, except some people have convictions that you cannot do them. And that's where the rub comes in, and here's where the difficult starts. That was last week. This week, he's in chapter 9, and he is, Paul is making the case for giving up your rights. But not just giving up your rights, but giving up your rights for the gospel's sake. For the sake of of promoting and expanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would give up your rights. And then he goes on and he explains to us what it looks like. Let, let's, let's just go on and, and see this. You, you, you'll see here in the chapter 9, uh, in the first 14 verses, Paul is asking 17 questions. They are rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is? It is not... 
easy to, de to, to define it precisely, but I define it as a rhetorical question is a question that already contains the answer. So it is not, the rhetorical question is not expecting an answer because the answer is already in the question. Are you with me? So, but sometimes in our daily language, we're using rhetorical questions sometimes to put somebody down. I mean, you don't know that 19 squared is 361. You mean you, you, you don't know that? So, this is not a, a question. This is a rhetorical question. And we use sometimes rhetorical questions to put people down. Paul is not using rhetorical questions to put people down. He is just using rhetorical questions to make a case. He doesn't want to give it to us too directly, so he puts it in a rhetorical question. It's a little bit softer. And he hopes that the landing is a little bit softer too. So, um, rhetorical questions. Um, so, the, 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 the idea of teaching with questions or answering questions with questions is a common technique. Um, we know of a guy named Ravi Zacharias. He does a lot of that because he's trying to figure out when somebody has a question, where are they coming from? What is beyond that question? What is the question beyond the question? It is sort of like... Um, and this is not a question, but a similar idea. When you're asking your wife, honey, you're all right? She says, because you have sensed that there is something maybe not all right. And she says, no, I, I'm just tired. She's not just tired. <laughs> you have to read between the lines, okay? Uh, 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 she is, oh, she's maybe a little tired of you, but neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm just tired. Uh, read between the lines, because there's a message that she's giving you that if you're not careful, you're not hearing. So Paul here is asking us a question uh, while, while, while actually he's making a statement with that question. All right? So we, we, we look at it. Let me just see here what else we have. I, I, I just want to say uh, 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 that Jesus used this technique a lot of asking questions. I'm going to give you... Uh, and these are rhetorical questions. I'm going to give you a short passage out of Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. He says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is already in the question. Or if he asks for fish, will he for fish give him a serpent? What is the answer to that? Everybody knows, everybody knows the answer because it's already the question. No, he won't do that. He's, Jesus is just trying to make a case by asking questions. Uh, or if he shall ask uh, for, an, give, for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? The answer is no. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That's also a question. But it's, it's basically more a statement than just a question, a rhetorical question. So this, this is a common technique. Paul is using this technique in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, a, a lot, a lot. 
I want to say here, going right from the, from the start, that Paul is making a case here concerning his rights, but he is not making the case concerning his rights so as to claim those rights. Matter of fact, he's going to forego his rights. That's the title of the sermon, giving up your rights for the promoting of the, of the gospel, for the gospel's sake. Also, I want to say to you that giving up your rights the right way always promotes the gospel because it's a form of grace. Giving up your rights the right way always promotes the gospel because it is a form of grace. The other person has, you have the right to do something. The other person doesn't have the right or even the right away. But you give up your right so that the other person can take advantage of that. You give it up. They didn't have it coming, but you give yours up so that they can get it. Right? That's a, that's a form of grace. Also, they, didn't, they couldn't do anything for it. They might not even know you. You give up your seat. You give up your, your spot in the traffic, your, your parking spot. You, you know, you're at the door first, but you hold the door open for somebody. Well, my experience is that when you hold the door open for somebody, sometimes 12 people go in. (laughs) Okay? But if you're going to hold the door open, hold it open and be joyful about it. Even if it takes 12 people. Well, (laughs) I only meant to hold the door open for you. Now, all of a sudden, your day is spoiled. Hey, be joyful that you can let somebody else go first. You know, I've noticed that there's a certain amount of joy in it to give the other person the right away. Don't let the other person go first, even though you were there first. Um, You stand in line, you've been standing in line. But there's a little old lady that is standing in line with you, and she's behind you. Well, you cannot give up the spots in front of you. You you don't have the right to do that because that's their people's spots. But you can give up your spot. She's been standing there for a while, and when it's my turn, I say, you go ahead, ma'am. She's tired. (laughs) The old lady. (laughs) Uh, So anyways. Huh? But you have to do it the right way. Part of the right way is that you do it joyfully. Joyfully, with gladness, you give up your rights so the other person can take advantage of it. Okay, so I'm giving you now my line out, my outline. My outline is one, Paul's apostleship, verses one through six. Paul's apostleship, verses one through six. Secondly, preach the gospel, live off the gospel, verses seven through 18. This is, this is ordained of the Lord, uh, Paul is saying. Thirdly, give up your rights for the sake of the gospel, verses 12 through 18. Point number one, Paul's apostleship. Okay. Can we have verse one? And let's look at what verse, verse one says over there. Paul is, remember verses 1 through 6, he is uh, defending or 
or making the claim or the right of his apostleship. Uh, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, O Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? Where goes, there was a question whether Paul was a, a, an apostle or not. Was Paul one of the twelve? He was not one of the twelve. And do you remember when Judas dropped out, they had to bring somebody else in. And when they brought somebody else in, the requirements to become one of the twelve, and this is important to know, to, to, that's why I have to read in context, this is important to know because the replacement for Judas, these are what are the requirements. Uh, they would have to have been with Jesus from the baptism till the ascension. Otherwise, that person that was going to replace Judas was not qualified. Uh, they must have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, he must have been called by Jesus Christ. So, but Paul, Paul was not one of those guys. He was not one of the twelve, and we have no record that he had seen Jesus Christ after the resurrection. So there is question among the people, is Paul really an apostle? Paul says, I am. And he says it by the way of a, a rhetorical question. Am I not an apostle? Because he is an apostle. Matter of fact, matter of fact, Paul might have had, Paul might have exceeded the requirement for apostleship. Because the other apostles had not seen the ascended Lord Jesus Christ in glory. But Paul saw him on the road to Damascus in glory. The glorious Lord Jesus Christ who had returned back to glory. And Paul is saying, have I not seen the Lord? He has seen the glorified one. And he says, uh, uh, am I not free? Have I not seen Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And he's talking to the Corinthians. He says, are you not the proof? Are you not the work and the proof that I am an apostle? You, 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 you're the product of my work. So now, when we talk about apostles, we have to be a little bit careful because some scholars even go with the requirements for, uh, for the replacement of Judas. Well, that would bump Paul out. So, in your mind, was Paul an apostle? Well, he says so, under, under, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So I think so. <laughs> so, uh, so apparently, those requirements were the requirements to replace Judas. Not necessarily for apostleship. Now, an apostle basically is a sent one. A sent one. Sent of God. So... We would call him maybe even a missionary. 
or we could call him an ambassador for Christ. He is not one of the twelve, but he might very well be an apostle. Now, I'll be the first to say that not everybody who has a tag over here that says apostle is an apostle. Or somebody who has a sign on their office door that says apostle is an apostle. No, 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 no. Not everybody that says that they're an apostle is necessarily an apostle. Okay? But they're still apostles, in my opinion. Otherwise, Paul could not be an apostle if we just go by the requirements for the replacement of Judas. Are you with me? That's just the first three words of the first verse. Uh, So he says, I'm an apostle. And then in verse 2, he says, uh, If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. You're the the, the seal. You're the the, the seal of of proof. Verse 3. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? So this is the situation. So the word power over there, uh, that is King James Version 1900. My King James Version says, do we not have the right to eat and to drink? So this is the situation. When Paul, and this is Paul speaking for him and Barnabas, when they were to go to a place and to go serve the Lord, many times, they, 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 paid for their, they paid their own way. Yet when some of the other guys came, they, they, they got paid for. Are you with me? So, they, Paul is saying, well, don't we have the right to be paid for also? That our food and drink would be paid for? The right. It says here the power. But I'll go with the right. Uh, that's what my Bible says. Verse uh, five says, have we not power or the right to lead other, to, to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, and, and Cephas, as or Cephas, some people say, he's saying over there, do not we, Barnabas and I, have also the right to have a companion with us that is paid for. The other guys came with their wives. I don't have a wife. The others came with their wives and, and, and was paid for. He says, don't we have the right? Once again, remember, Paul is not explaining his rights in order to claim them. He is just wanting the people to know what is proper in the sight of God. And then uh, uh, the third point that he's making over here is, verse 6 says, Or I only and Barnabas have we no power to forbear working. In other words, do we have to continue to work for everything that we get? In other words, uh, do we have to do tent making the rest of our lives? Cannot the church chip in and pay for us? Don't we have the right to it? Well, he is making that point, and he continues to make this point. So now we're going to the second po- point of the, of the outline that says... Uh, Preaching, preaching the gospel, live of the gospel. We'll, 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 we'll make it clear. Preach the gospel, live of the gospel. Uh, that is the point that Paul is making in the next sec- segment here, verses 7 
through 12 or so. Who then he makes it is the point that he's making is this who goes to war and pays for his own charges, for his own expenses? Who goes to war? Once again, it's a question, a rhetorical question. No one goes to war and pays for his own expenses. It is paid for by the citizens for whom they are going to war. In other words, when we go to war for you, Corinthians, should we pay for our own equipment for going to war? When you go to war as a soldier, you don't pay for your own boots, and you don't pay for your own gun, and you don't pay for your own clothing and uniforms and travel and all these type of things. It is paid for. And he is saying, this is the same right that we have. When we go to war for you Corinthians and others, we have the right that it is taken care of. I'm just teaching the scriptures, brothers and sisters. I'm not making a claim for myself. Okay, I'm I'm talking about Paul over here. (laughs) Who planted a vineyard and eat not of the fruit thereof? It was a common practice in those days that when you work for somebody and you planted a vineyard, that you'd get to glean from the fruit that was planted. When When it comes to fruition, you get to have some of that fruit. That's a common practice. So, who plants a vineyard? So now, we have planted seed in your lives, Corinthians, and they have come to fruition. Is it a big deal to ask that you share some of that with us? Am I, am I representing the scriptures okay? Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, because you're looking like, oh, this sounds a little heavy. It is not heavy, but it is not easy to receive. Paul's teaching is not always easy to receive. Sometimes it is, sometimes, sometimes it isn't. In this scenario, it is not easy for us human people to give up our rights. It simply isn't. It is a matter of maturity in the Lord. Or else you have the hardest time with it, and you will never do it joyfully. Unless you have a certain amount of maturity. And Paul wants us to have that maturity. He wants us to be able to give up our rights uh, 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 joyfully and so on and so forth. Huh. Let's see. What time do we have? About noon. Okay. Okay. That's good. Uh, <laughs> or who feeds the flock and eat none of the milk? Who feeds the flock and doesn't get to get uh, a few cups of that milk? He says, everybody does. I'm, I'm, I'm feeding you. I'm feeding you. He's saying to the Corinthians. And so, it is not something unusual for me to get some of that milk that you are producing. So, then he goes on to say this. He keeps on with this point. Say I these things as a man, or say it not the law, the same also he says, Am I saying these things just from a human perspective? Because you might think, okay, well, Paul is just making up some rules over here. (laughs) But he's saying, 
I'm not, am I? Another rhetorical question. He says, I'm not just speaking from a secular point of view or a worldly point of view. He says, the scriptures say the same. And then he gives us a scripture. Uh, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of an ox that treaded out the corn. So what, what, is, what is implied over here, and I think maybe he explains it in a, in a little bit, is that when an oxen is when oxen are treading out the corn, you don't muscle their mouth because it is understood that they can eat some of that corn. Then he's asking the question: Well, does God take care of oxen? God takes care of oxen, but he says, "Are you cold, sister?" Okay. But he says, in this scenario, God is not talking about oxen. He's just giving the example with oxen. But he's talking about human beings. So, uh, did God, God take care of oxen? Yeah, he takes care of oxen. A rhetorical question. Verse 10 says, or say that altogether for our sakes. Doesn't it say that, does it say that in, 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 the, in the law of Moses that it is for our sakes? That's a rhetorical question. Yes, it is for our sakes. <laughs> for our sake. Oh, he answers it right here. No doubt this, this is written. That he that plowed should plow in hope. And that he that threshed in hope should be partaker of his hope. So he's, he's explained it one more time, right? We don't have to go there. So I can, I can advance and, and uh, Okay, verse 11 says this. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? So he says to the Corinthians, we have sown to you spiritual things. Is it then too much to expect that you're going to give us some material things back? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. It is logical to expect some of that. And he says, so let me ask you this. Let me show you where my mind goes when I read stuff like this. Which things are more important, spiritual things or material things? By a mile. Spiritual things. So he's saying to them, we are giving you some things that you could never give us back. We're giving you a greater value than we are even claiming that we have coming. By the way, he says, he doesn't say it right now, but later on he says, I'm not going to even take you up on my rights, that, the claim that I have made. I'm not doing the claim so I can get what I'm say, claiming. I'm going to forego what I'm telling you is my right to have. I'm going to forego it. But I'm just making the point is what he's saying. He's making the point to teach the Corinthians. He's making the point to teach us. So that when we have Don Babin come to us, Right? Don Babin is one of our friends who ministers in Kenya to the Maasai tribe. When he comes to us, that we take care of him like Paul is telling him we should. And we do, by the way. And I'm proud of my church for that. Because it is a testimony. It is a testimony that we say later on that God ordained that those who preach the gospel should live off the gospel. And so when Don Babin comes over here, who has 
no other job or no other income. And he comes, and he comes to preach to us, and he makes us aware of the preaching that he does in Maasai land. God is expecting that we support him that way. Do you under, is, that, is that your understanding of what we're reading over here? Because now, now I'm trying to bring it back in our time. We can't just stay there. In Paul's time, he's trying to teach you something for us. So, uh, is it a great thing? Is it a big deal that I'm expecting some material reward or something immaterial in return? Verse 12. I'm trying to go. If others be partakers of this power or this right over you, who, who, who has the word right in your Bible? Right, 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 right. Uh, okay. Are you the only ones that look in your Bible or? Okay, okay. <laughs> Just checking, brother. You see what I'm saying? Uh, okay. All right. So the word right is used there. Uh, are not we rather? Other people have come. This the same thing happened to Don Babbin and, and Michelle. Don Babbin, how many years did he say last time? Yeah, they've done that. Maybe 10 years or something like that? Huh? At least that. 10 years. He's been with the Maasai. Other people have gone to the Maasai, and they've gone. They just want to take a picture for the newsletter and send it to the people that's supporting them and, and, and hoping that they gain some support out of it. But they, the Maasai have never seen them again. When Don and Michelle first went, they, the Maasai thought that they were the same kind of people, that they would just come take a few pictures, give them a few things, and then they're gone, and they'll never see them again. They've done enough for 10 years. And they have great credibility with the Maasai. The Maasai are a warrior tribe. I promise you, I've gone with Don a couple of times. When I'm with Don and the Maasai, I feel no place on, the, place on the earth safer than then. Because nobody's going to touch you when the Maasai are around. Because you have favor with them. And I, I, I haven't earned the favor. I have earned the favor only because I've gone with Don and Michelle. They have the favor with them. They have shown how much they care for the Maasai. So nevertheless, we have not used this power, he says. We have the right to all these things that he made the point from verse 1 on down. Uh, you go to water at your expense. You plant it, you get some of the milk uh, from the fruit. You, you, you feed the flock and you get some of the milk. He's made the, he's made the point all along. He says, but we have never used that right. Never used that right. Rather, he says, but suffer all things. We have, bared, we have borne the burden of it all. Never ask you for a penny. Now, the next few words are the most important words. Oh, wait a second. How about back to 12? One second. Because lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. You know, my brothers and sisters, when it is about money, and it is not about money here, it is just about money in these examples. Because in some of the examples, it's about milk. Uh, so, the, so it is not just about money. It is the, 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 the idea of it, right? The idea of giving up uh, your rights for the gospel's sake. So it's not about money. But when it is about money, even in Christian circles, we struggle. So Paul is saying, 
I don't want to struggle. I don't want anybody to be able to say anything about us getting paid. Too much, too little, not in time, uh, too early, too... Ad nauseum. He says, I don't want that burden. I, I don't charge anything. Or else the gospel might be hindered. I'm often asked to counsel people. Or to do a wedding. Or to do a funeral. And they almost always, I can't recall if it was always, so that's why I say almost always. I may as well say always. They almost always ask what the charge would be. There is no charge. It's a ministry. It is for the advancement of the gospel. You see? Because, you see, when I do a counseling session with somebody, or sometimes Sybil and I do a counseling session, and people come maybe to our house or whatever, and then it is not 60 bucks, or it is not 60 bucks per hour. There is no time. Now, if you call me, like somebody called me the other day, hey, I need to meet with you in, in an hour's time. Can you do it? Yes, I can. Let's go. He, he wanted help right now. Because he was going to meet with his wife later on, and he, he wanted some help as to how do I navigate the, these things. So, if I have only an hour, okay, then we have only an hour. Otherwise, you're coming, and it is not over till it is over. I don't care how long it takes. Because in counseling, when people have trouble, yes, there comes a point beyond which things are pretty good. I call it over the hump. But you haven't gotten over the hump yet. Things are still rotten. And you can't send them home rotten. You have to send them home when they're over the hump. So now husband and wife can walk out of the, out of the door with maybe their arms around each other or maybe holding hands or maybe even just talking instead of still being enemies. You see? So if that takes three hours, it takes three hours. And so when we're asking, hey, can we meet again next week? I don't want to have in mind, oh, he wants $60. No. We're getting together next week strictly for your sake. Are you with me? Are you understand what I'm saying? It's not for my sake. I'm there for you, brother and sister. And this is the point that Paul is making over here. It's not about that I want money from you, Paul is saying. It is that I don't want to be hindered, hindering the gospel for money. What is that? What is that comparison? Money and the gospel. Money is nothing compared to the gospel. So, verse 13. Sorry, I got excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy, okay? I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm one happy guy. Do you not know? Another rhetorical question. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things is making the point again? Live of the things of the temple. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. In other words, there's, there's stuff at the altar that has been sacrificed, and we get to share in part of it in the service of the altar. Verse 14. 
Even so had the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live off the gospel. This is not Paul making some sort of a statement or something that he feels like saying. He says, it has been ordained of the Lord that those who preach the gospel should live off the gospel. That's just what God has decided. It's no big thing. Uh, but then Paul in 15 says this. 15. It's coming. It's 15. I might have put them, in, put them to sleep over there. I'm not sure. I'm not excited. Sorry about that. Uh, So here he says, but I have used none of these things. All these things that he has explained of the right to do this and right to do this. He says, I have not used any of these. I have not used any of these. Neither have I written these things that it should be done unto me. I haven't written these things to claim my rights. I'm just explaining. I've never taken you up on any of that stuff, he's saying. And I'm not writing these things now. So that you feel guilty, so you can do something about it. He is not there at all. If you're there, that's a dirty tactic. Unbefitting a Christian uh, 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 man. Uh, that should be on to me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. Uh, we'll go to 16 and then tie those two together. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So back to 15, please. So we have the time together. Otherwise, when I explain 15, you might say, oh, you're not explaining it right. Uh, So it it, it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in God. He is not bragging here on him. He's bragging on the Lord as becomes implied in the next verse, if not strictly pointed out. He's saying, God has put it in me. And and, and a couple of verses later, we'll see that this is part of his stewardship. God has put it in me that I should preach. And if I don't preach, I may as well be dead. This is the stewardship that God has given me, that I should preach. And I am bragging on God because God has done it. This is not something that I have just worked up in my own. This is not something that I have built up in my system that I should preach. I compel myself to preach. It's the Lord that has put it in there for him. So he's glorying in the Lord, although it doesn't specifically say it, but it is, it is implied in the, in the rest of the verses. And so you're not going to make his glory void. Because he's glorying in the Lord. He wants to brag on God all that he can. Since God has put the desire and the unction in his heart to preach. (laughs) I sort of feel the same way. That if I couldn't preach, Lord, go ahead, take me home. No, no, Lord, I want to be here still a little bit for Sybil. Don't take me home yet. But (laughs) Verse 16. 
For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. I have nothing to glory of. I can only glory in the Lord. Nothing glory. For necessity is laid upon me. Necessity is laid upon me. Someone has put it in my system. It is the Lord has put it in my system. That I should woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And then verse 17 and 18. And then for if I do not, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. This is what he's saying. The language is, is <clears throat> um, he's saying, if I'm willing this thing, I'm working this thing up, right? Then I, I, I should get a reward for it because I'm doing it. But it's not me that is doing it. A dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. The Lord has put me as a manager, as a steward over the, the preaching of the gospel. So he gets all the glory. I don't get a reward. It was God that did it. But if I'm going to get a reward, this is my reward. 18. What is my reward then? Verily that man, when I preach the gospel, I make the gospel of Christ without charge. That I abuse not my power in the gospel. So he's saying it very clearly. He's saying this is my reward. This is the reward that I get. When I preach the gospel... I do it for free. No charge. Because when you do it for free, no one, no one has anything to say. Now, the opposite, you know, remember that it was God, the Lord ordained that he who preaches the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay? Now, that is not a word for the preacher. That is a word for the congregation, for the people of God, that they should take, take care of somebody who's preaching the gospel. That's nothing to do with me. This is, get me out of the picture. This is, the church is taking care of me. This, so this is not about me. But this is about what, what God is teaching his people concerning those who are preaching the gospel. And if they are rightly people, if they're doing it right and they're right on, then as as Christians, when we can, we should support them best we can. Right? Does that make sense? Is, is, okay. So, um, so that when Paul preaches somewhere, nobody is going to say, be able to say, that, oh, he's asking too big a fee. Somebody asked me the other day, they, we're doing... Some, something, I, I, I don't have the liberty to talk to you about it yet. And they, they said, well, we, we're thinking about such and such a date. What is your charge? I said, I don't have a charge. To me, it's a ministry. Now, if you want to do something, I'll gladly receive it. But I, I, I don't charge anything. Uh, where was I going? I forget. Um, so, then my question to you is, are you willing to give up your right or rights for 
the promotion of the gospel. Are you willing? And what are some of those rights? A parking spot? <laughs> are you willing to give it up? Or are you competing for a parking spot? Zoom! Getting in there. And then you smile smirkly like, you know, I got it. <laughs> I beat you. But then when you walk out of the theater, you're standing next to that person, and you want to talk to them about Jesus. Excuse me, you don't have a lot of credibility. See, for the empowering and expanding of the kingdom of God, that is why you give up your rights sometimes, so that you have credibility that when you share with somebody about Jesus, you have at least... Uh, I'm in the bank. I'm waiting on somebody uh, uh, from that to, to, to help me a little bit. And I see a lady walking. There's, there's two sets of doors that, at the bank, right? One set, then you have a little room over there, then you have another set of doors. And I see a lady walk, and, and this is not patting me on the, on the shoulder. I, I, I'm not there. I just want to give you a couple of ideas of where you're right. So, I have the right to stay in the air conditioning and just wait for the lady to come. And, but I just boop, open the door. Boop, open the door. Because if she would engage me and I talk about Jesus, I want to have credibility. Do I fight for my spot on the road? So I just rub, cut somebody off and just so I can get in there uh, to the stoplight or whatever, beat somebody to the stoplight. Or, or, or am I willing to give up that right? Am I willing to give up my seat? You sit over here. It doesn't have to be an old lady. Could be a young person. But hey, I prefer you have the seat. I was here earlier. I was here before you. But, hey, you have the seat. Uh, the other day, Gary, we were at, at Barnes & Noble, and a friend of Sibyl and I was working over there a little bit, and she saw that we were looking for a place because it was very busy. We didn't have a place. And she says, Pastor Kenny, Pastor Kenny, come over here. So we took the place, but I, look, I looked around a little bit. If there was somebody there that maybe had come before us that was looking for a place. I didn't see anybody looking for a place, so we took the place. But if somebody had been looking for a place that was before us, even though <clears throat> my friend offered us the place, I would have offered to somebody else. And they might say, well, that is kind of you. Well, thank you, ma'am. I'm hanging out with Jesus. Giving up your rights. Are you willing, my brothers and sisters? Are you willing <clears throat> is this difficult to receive. It is very difficult to receive for the flesh. But I know so many of you that are mature in the Lord, and I want to challenge you this week. Brother Gary gave us a challenge in Sunday school uh, to pray uh, what in our lives that we need to either cut out or add for 
our sanctification, that we might grow in the Lord faster, is something that we are doing. Watching nasty movies, listening to nasty music, or whatever the situation might be, or don't we, we don't read enough of the scriptures, so we need to add that. Okay, what, let, let us pray, Lord, what would you have us to do? Cut off or add to, to have a better walk with you. So I'm challenging you. Uh, would you consider this week, this coming week, whenever you could give up your rights a little bit, okay, to do it, to do it. It'd be a blessing and a half to you. The Christian life is not just about not lying, cheating, stealing, uh, not uh, whatever. There is a different plane. When it comes to the sacrificial life, God takes you to a little bit different plane. I'm not there. But that's where I want to be. I want to be in a different plane. I don't want to be in the ordinary plane. So if you, if you say in your mind, yes, be sure God is going to challenge you as well. Yes. Let us pray. Let us stand and pray.